Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Llegó el gol de Olivier Giroud, marca el Arsenal, marca Olivier Giroud, gol de los Gunners. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. Good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? We've we've read via the blog that you've been under the weather. Mm, I'm I'm feeling a little bit better, but still... Like about 60% because most of what was inside my body came out, apart from my, my organs and other bits, entrails and gizzards, everything else came out via one end or the other. So Crikey. Yeah. I mean, some people pay for that privilege, don't they? You know, they have irrigation and things like that. Is well, that I, right? you know, I did, I, did, uh, I did weigh myself and I've lost a kilo and a half, but I would not recommend it as a weight loss program. I would right. say... To someone who's looking to lose weight, exercise, eat better, you know, up the cardio, that kind of thing. Shitting yeah, sure. and puking the weight off is not a, it's not good. It's not ideal. It's, no. It's, okay. Well, someone yeah. should let Colo Torre know. <laughs> That's not the way forward. It is definitely not. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm feeling a bit better. Thank you. Uh, still a bit croaky of voice because of the my, – my throat is very sore from all the uh, – you know, the last thing I ate – I don't want to make this disgusting to start off, but the last thing I ate on Friday was peanuts, and they sort of – I don't know. They tore a bit of my throat off, I think, as they were coming back up, so – Oh dear! Yeah, unpleasant, unpleasant. So my voice is is not really what, what it was. How are how are things with you? I'm I'm in relatively. I'm good. I can't complain. Um, a bit achy. Mm. My body's sort of beginning to ache in places that I didn't know. Well, in fact, I probably don't have muscles there. That's probably why it aches. <laughs> but uh, other than that, all well. Thank you. So from your Sick bed? Were you were you able to watch the football? What was the situation? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, by the time the match had started at what five thirty, I mm. think I'd had something like two hours sleep in the previous forty eight hours. So it was a bit. It was all a bit surreal. The whole of Saturday was this kind of weird surreal experience where I was just feeling terrible and waiting for the waiting for the Arsenal game to start. Um, and well, I mean, I can't say it made me feel a whole lot better. Um, no. not really, but you know, again, when you step back at it and look at it objectively in the context of one game, I don't think it was that bad though, was it? No, I mean, I would, I would say that in isolation, uh, a, a point away to champions, you know, is, is not a particularly bad point mm. and nor is a clean sheet any bad thing, given that we shipped four goals in yeah. the preceding fixture. So if you want, if your glass was at least half full. I think that's what you would take out of it. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think there were some things to to enjoy about the performance. I mean, certainly defensively, it was great that we managed to defend. I was mm. very impressed by that little uh, bit of progression we made from the game against Liverpool. It's a significant change. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the return of Lauren Koscielny, very important uh, in that as well. He, 
obviously adds experience and real quality to the center of the defense. And uh, he, he was absolutely outstanding. And I think in, in some ways he, I won't say necessarily took Rob Holding under his wing, but I think when you've got somebody of that quality beside you and that kind of assurance beside you, it helps you as a younger player play, play much better. I think so. And I think there were several interventions from Koscielny that probably enabled us to keep that clean sheet. I mean, obviously there was the penalty appeal in the first half where it looked like he got a, a boot to the ball, outstretched boot. Mm. And then the second half, he made a very good block from Vardy. I thought, you know, we saw we saw basically what we'd missed against Liverpool and why, you know, the Arsenal had to rush him back to, to the KC Stadium because he's, he's so much better than what else we have. What did you... Uh, what did you make of the decision to start with holding ahead of Chambers? I must say I was a little surprised by that myself. I was a little as well. Uh, I think it probably tells us something about how the manager views his pecking order mm-hmm. right at this moment in time. Um, I, I think it probably says something for Callum Chambers' future at the club uh, at the moment as well. Uh, I do wonder perhaps if there was an element of the manager... I don't know if he would just use a player because he's a new player. Um but maybe he just felt Koscielny and Holding was a was a better mix. Um, I thought it was a very interesting decision and one that was very much justified as well by the performance of Holding, who was, I, I thought, impressive. Now, I know we, we talked about having Koscielny alongside him and the whole thing about a, a rising tide lifting all boats, etc. Uh, but it was it was a really good performance from him. Um, and, and obviously the manager was, was keen to praise that in the press conference afterwards. We can maybe touch on that a little bit later on. But yeah, I thought there was, there's something you can read into that kind of a decision because, because Callum Chambers obviously is more experienced at Premier League level. Uh, he's a 16 million pound player bought two summers ago. Um, you know, into his third season now at Arsenal and he's finding himself uh, on the bench behind uh, a 20 year old who, who's just come in from Bolton. So uh, it either speaks to what the manager thinks about Callum Chambers or the quality that the manager sees in Rob Holding or something in the middle. Yes, I think it well I think it tells us a little bit about uh, about Chambers and about Holding basically. I I was really surprised. I thought Chambers would start just purely based on the fact he's got more Premier League experience under his belt, uh, albeit somewhat limited at mm. Arsenal. But uh, the fact that he went with Holding I think shows the, the faith he has in him as to be fair to his post-match comments. I mean he was vociferous in his praise of Holdings' performance. Mm. Um, well, I think yeah. he may have been trying to make a slightly different point. <laughs> yeah, I think he was. Uh, and I think your point about balance maybe is a thing. You know, Maybe he feels Koscielny and Holding has some of the kind of equilibrium that Koscielny and Mertesacker has had in the past. I don't know. But uh, yeah. very impressed with the young man. And uh, you know, for all our, our transfer window woes, he does appear at this very early stage to be an astute purchase. Yeah, I mean, you look at his, uh, you look at his stats from the game. Uh, tackles, he won one out of two tackles, but uh, seven out of nine clearances made. Five out of seven uh, headed clearances. He won five of his seven aerial duels. Passing a little bit uh, suspect, maybe only seventy-four percent passing. I think we were used to the centre halves being a little more accurate than that. Mm. Um, some of his long passing wasn't wasn't great, um, uh, and the short passing thirty-eight out of forty-eight. But I mean, you know, this is a 20-year-old who's just coming in uh, to a new team, a team that isn't necessarily playing that well anyway. Uh, I think just defensively, if you look at the way he slotted in alongside Koscielny, there was a lot to like about that. Um, The other, I suppose, the other team selection issue that we should really touch on is uh, a first start for for Granit Xhaka. What did you make of him? 
Yeah, I thought he was. I thought he was decent enough. I mean, he didn't do anything that massively surprised me. Um, you know, I'd watched him a bit in the Euros, and this was kind of the, the sort of level of performance I was expecting. Uh, I thought it was interesting that he decided to bring Shaka in alongside Coquelin and uh, and holding two. I th- it struck me that all those players uh, are actually pretty decent in the air, and maybe there was something there where he looked to he thought Leicester might look for more long balls or look to be a threat set pieces. So I wonder if, mm. if that was a consideration. But yeah, I thought Shaka was uh, was was solid, but if not particularly spectacular. What was your impression? Pretty much the same. I think he looked a little bit unsure of of his surroundings at times. You know, mm. it, it'll obviously take him time to get onto the same wavelength as his teammates. Um, he's got to understand the way that they play. I was a little bit surprised that he went with Coquelin rather than El Neni. I thought perhaps yeah. Xhaka and El Neni is a is a combo that just would seem to fit a little bit better. Um, but but Arsene Wenger seems quite wedded to Coquelin at this moment in time. And I thought Coquelin was all right to be honest. I was I have to admit shitting myself when he got away with that yellow card or what might have been a second yellow card on Mares. You know, it was one of those where. I thought Mares made a bit of a big deal of it because he knew Coquelin was on a, a yellow card, and to be fair to the referee, he didn't he didn't pull the card out. But you know, it was walking a tightrope a little bit. But Arsene Wenger seems to trust Coquelin, certainly since the the game against uh, Tottenham last year. Remember where he made that stupid tackle and got sent off. Mm. Um, that he, he obviously trusts him to have learned a lesson from that because. Pretty much everybody, when I was watching the game on my Twitter feed, was going, take him off, take him off, get it, get him off. Um, not that that makes any difference to anything, but but if Arsene Wenger had shared those concerns, considering he had El Nani on the bench, or he had uh, uh, Jack Wilshire, who he brought on, he could easily have brought on Wilshire for Coquelin and left Xhaka on. Um, you know, he, he obviously trusts him in that regard, but I was a little bit surprised that it was it was Coquelin and Xhaka rather than El Nani and Xhaka. Yeah, I mean, Coquelin and Shaka, it strikes me as a, a bit of a time bomb as far as the officials are concerned. I mean, uh, you know, they'll pick, they would pick up an awful lot of bookings, those two. Mm. I, I thought Coquelin might struggle for game time this season after dropping out of contention a little bit at the back end of the preceding campaign. Mm. But you're right, Arsenal seems to have renewed its faith in him over the course of the summer. Uh, and obviously with Aaron Ramsey now out for a few weeks, he's got a little chance to... Uh, to establish himself in there. Mm, yeah, but again, it was one of those games, wasn't it, where a lot of it was played in midfield. There wasn't a great deal of space um, behind either defence uh, because obviously Leicester had pace with Mahrez and Vardy and we had a lot of pace with Oxlade-Chamberlain, Walcott and, and Sanchez and we know that uh, the Leicester defence isn't necessarily the quickest so they weren't leaving any space in behind. Arsenal weren't leaving any space in behind for Vardy to run into and it just meant that the game was played sort of 60% in the middle of the park and it was pretty dull, I thought, in general. It was fairly... Uh, fairly routine stuff, you know? There wasn't anything to excite fans from either side, really. Well, I think, you know, Leicester, let's not forget, like Arsenal, had suffered defeat in their opening game. Yeah. And it looked a little bit cagey, didn't it? It looked a bit like two sides who thought, well, a, po- a point will do here, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Neither of them are going to give anything away by being, by being stupid. So what about, um, what about our forward trio then? I mean, if we talk about the defences sitting deep, is that, is that something we need to take into consideration when we analyse the performances? Because I thought there was a, not a lot missing, but there wasn't a lot going on 
in the final third from an Arsenal point of view. There wasn't much going on from a Leicester point of view either. So, I mean, were we, were we looking at uh, the two defences cancelling out the attacks or should, or should we have concerns about the way that the team is set up to attack? Uh, I think a little bit of both in that, you know, you're right, the defence was deeper. That doesn't play into the hands of the likes of Walcott and Alexis who are going to look to run in behind where possible. Um, but... Uh, you know, in, in the first game, the Liverpool match, we managed to score three goals, but the defending was diabolical. The defending was better this time around, but the attacking didn't do much to excite. Mm. And I, I couldn't help but look at, you know, the options we had on the field and on the bench and still think we are we are very short in that department. And I, I'm a little bit perturbed about Arsene Wenger, you know, on the eve of the Leicester game, speaking with such force about how he believes... Alexis can be a central striker. You know, we heard exactly the same thing about Alexis two years ago. Then he ended up, you know, flourishing on the wing rather than through the middle. Then last season we heard Theo Walcott discussed in those terms. That didn't really come to pass. And I can't help but feel that these internal solutions, you know, we've actually, they're nothing actually that new. We've seen them tried before and not really succeeded. So that is that is a big concern for me. Isn't another concern the fact that we're, trying to redeploy a player who in his debut season was fucking brilliant mm. playing down the left-hand side and scored 25 goals in his first season with the club. I mean, that to me is like, okay, I know we're short of options, but like that works. Alexis works from the left-hand side. I know there are reasons why his form was out the window a little bit last season, but it just strikes me that trying to turn him into a striker, uh, it's only being done because... Um, because we don't have anybody else at this moment in time. Not because Arsene Wenger thinks this is the right thing to do for either Arsenal or for or for Alexis Sanchez as a player, right? It's yeah. because we're desperately short of options. We don't have anybody to play striker because Giroud is coming back, Welbeck is injured, Walcott's unconvincing, Joel Campbell is gone, uh, Chuba Akpom probably not ready, so we're using Alexis there. Uh, because it's really the only choice that we have, not because it's some some master plan. But I think as well what we're looking at is when you do that, you're stripping the team of a potentially 20 to 25 goal a season wide man, which is something that we've been crying out for for so long, and we had it in his first season. So why not concentrate on trying to get Alexis back to the Alexis that he was in his first season with Arsenal and you know, do something different from the striking point of view. That would be my thinking. I mean, that's that's where I would have more concerns. Because there's nobody else point. in the squad, is there, who's going to get 20, 25 goals from a wide position. Is Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain going to get that from the left? I don't think so. No, and I think for all the excitement and understandable excitement about Alex Awobi, I think it would be kind of ludicrous and unfair to expect that from him in mm. what would be his first full season. So, yeah, you're right. By shifting Alexis inside, you're actually weakening... Uh, another area of the park. I also just fundamentally think it doesn't suit his game that well. You know, ultimately he is someone who's attracted to the ball, who's attracted to the action, who, you know, against Leicester you saw that, he wanted to drop deep, he wanted to drop wide. If you look at his heat map, it's it's pretty much all based out on the flanks. Right. And uh, I think that that's his inclination. I'm not sure he's got the kind of tactical discipline, the strategic mind to to not come and get involved in the play, to hang on the last man, mm. you know, like a centre forward needs to do. So I'm not I'm not convinced by that. I know it's only two games so far, but I still feel that, you know, we started the summer needing a striker and nothing that's come to pass between the, uh, then and now changes that. Mm. 
I totally agree. Totally agree. I think we we badly need a striker. I think uh, the attacking display against against Leicester was more evidence of that. The the options that we had or or the players that we were able to bring on from the bench. We, you know, Olivier Giroud came on and got little or no service. We'd spent some of the game putting in crosses for Alexis that he was never going to get to, and the minute Giroud came on, there was none of that. Um, you know, Mesut Ozil came on. We looked we looked better. This weird thing that when you bring on really good players, your team plays better football. I don't know if anybody's thought to uh, to do anything about that or try and base a strategy something, around something that. Something we'll never fully understand. Yeah. I expect. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, but I think you know it comes back down to the fact that we 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 still need something new, something different, and something improved uh, in our forward line. And and to me. Um, if we had a, an Alexis firing on all cylinders on the left-hand side, we had two good strikers, uh, let's say Giroud and a new signing, imagine, uh, you know, who can compete and who can drive each other on in the centre-forward position. And then you do have options on the right-hand side. You can use Iwobi, you can use Walcott, you can use Oxlade-Chamberlain. You know, there, there are options for you uh, on the right-hand side, which maybe aren't as convincing. But when you've solidified the left-hand side, when you've solidified uh, the central striking position, then perhaps your team can attack with a bit more, a bit more of a flourish or a bit more rhythm. You know, there just doesn't seem to be any... Like, none of the front three players seem to be on the same wavelength at all. Like you say, Alexis is dropping out left to pick up the ball, play a few triangles, and then you look up and there's nobody in the area. Um, Walcott, uh, Oxlade-Chamberlain, again, sort of individualists rather than players who are, are really driving the team on in any way. I mean, one thing that concerns me is when you've got two players on the right-hand side, Hector Bellerin and Theo Walcott, who have such an abundance of pace, the complete lack of uh, relationship between them, I think, is is a little bit of a concern as well. You'd be looking going, holy shit, we've got so much pace down the right-hand side. Let's try and use that in some way. But But they don't seem to click in any way for me. Yeah, I think... I think you're right. It's funny if you look at the front four, you know, if you include Urzel in that, and then the two wide men, the centre forward, you you would want Urzel in there. You would want Alexis in there. Giroud obviously is a contender for that centre forward role, but there is still two positions there where you feel like there's potential for a significant upgrade. I'm not convinced by Walcott on the right hand side mm. uh, at, at all, and I thought his performance was one of the disappointments probably uh, against Leicester. Leicester. Yeah, I th- well, I mean, I think from an attacking point of view, yeah, there was a moment late in the game when he could have um, when he could have played in Giroud, uh, and he chose to like push it outside and take a shot, which was always mm-hmm. going to be blocked. You know, I think, but I think maybe uh, I'm just um, used to different things. But I thought he actually worked. He worked quite hard. I mean, he was toothless, but for, uh, maybe the, by the Theo Walcott standards, where he doesn't necessarily put it in in the defensive shift I don't think he could be accused of, of shirking that and he did actually Maybe, work yeah. a little bit hard but yeah I mean just from an overall point of view I thought with the ball at his feet I thought he wasn't particularly effective I thought there were a few mm. sort of strange decisions but uh, you know I, I recall a performance I think it was at Leicester a couple of years ago where we played was it with Sonogo or at least Sonogo was involved yeah and it, it was actually so blunt from an attacking point of view that it prompted Arsene Wenger to go out and buy Danny Welbeck uh, in the next few days, just before the end of the transfer window. Yeah. I, I, I guess, call me a crazed optimist, but I'm hopeful that this uh, blunt performance of Leicester might 
might produce something similar. But I, I mean, one of the most fascinating things about this week has been the comments of Arsene Wenger, both in the build-up to the Leicester game and after the Leicester game. And they they don't fill me with with masses of confidence as regards to the transfer market. Okay, so go into a bit more detail on that. What are you, what exactly are you talking well, about? Well, I mean, obviously, prior to the Leicester match, I mentioned the comments about playing Alexis centre-forward, but he he also cited, you know, Tuba Rakpom, he cited Yaya Sanogo uh, as potential options. It feels like on the attacking front, maybe there's a, a tacit admission that, you know, there have been quotes like, we are struggling to find the players that we want or that we need. Mm. I wonder if there is a tacit admission there that maybe that's an area where we're not going to be able to get somebody. Um, and obviously after the game, Arsene was uh, particularly prickly, I guess, with the press about uh, spending money. I think the fans obviously had been calling for money to be spent during the game and that had riled him up and he was speaking about Rob Holding and how he deserved more credit, uh, but he didn't because he didn't cost 50 million, you know, nobody mm. cares about him. Uh, which I think there's a certain truth to that, but I don't think I don't think it's the Arsenal fans who are critical of holding. I think they're delighted that they've got holding for a good price. It's I do think sports have a great appreciation of the quality of a player, maybe sometimes than the manager um, suspects. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, look, I mean, I think as ever with Arsene Wenger, there's there's um, a lot of sense to some of the stuff that he says, but then there are just these pearls in there that make you go, look, nobody is, nobody's saying that. Like I thought what he was saying to the uh, to the journalist, you know, um, about being reluctant to spend money, he says to him, well, if I buy you for £45 million, have I done well? No, no, because I've just bought a fucking journalist for forty five million. It's just not spending how much you spend that's really the issue. It's it's the quality of the player that you bring in, right? I don't think mm. anybody has ever argued against that though. Nobody, no Arsenal fan is critical of Rob Holding because he only costs two and a half million pounds. I do think it's a little bit much though to hold up uh, a guy like Rob Holding who's only played a second game as an example of um I just wonder if that puts a bit too much pressure on somebody like Rob Holding. Like, maybe he's well yeah. able to cope, but you know what I mean? It's, it seems a little bit unfair to say, look at this guy that I got for two and a half million. He's absolutely great. But look, he's only just starting his career. Could, you know, if after 50 games or 100 games and Rob Holding is like uh, steaming his way to being an England international and has really established himself as a player, by all means, use that as an example. But not after two games. I thought that was a little bit, thought that was a little bit much. Yeah, I mean, you know, especially because the likes of Callum Chambers have slightly suffered in the past by being a little talked up or overhyped. Well, you know yeah, I mean? yeah, After think think back side. to like this time two years ago when Callum Chambers had first come into the side and everyone was thinking, oh, wow, this is, this guy's great. You know, he had a really good preseason. He got stuck in. We liked his tackling. We liked the fact that uh, he would make fouls, if you remember. Um, <laughs> and then, hang on, I'm just going to want to go down. When was it? Bum, 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 bum. It was November. It was November 2014 when he got roasted by Jefferson Montero. All right. So up until November, people were going, this Chambers lad is a good player. We've done well here. 16 million. I know it's a bit much, but like, you know, he looks like the real deal. And then all of a sudden he has this one performance, which knocks him for six and uh, knocks the confidence of the manager in him for six. And, you know, things change very quickly. So that's why I was, you know, a little bit concerned about that when he's talking about um, Rob Holding. I just... You know, it was a bit of a straw man. There was no need to bring that up in that context. You know, I get that he's irritated by questions about spending money. And, you know, he says, if I, if I, I'll spend 300 million pounds if I find the player and I have 300 million pounds. 
And I, you know, again, I, I don't doubt that, um, that if he does find the right player, he's prepared to spend what it takes. But it's this, this, how do you judge with Arsene Wenger what is the right player? Right? How do you judge that based on some of the players that we've bought down the years? How do you, how do you stand over that when you've brought in players like Gervinho or Andre Santos or, or Park Chu Young, right? Mm-hmm. And what I would say in terms of those transfers is that when we had less money to spend, it was probably more important to get the rightness of the player than it is right now. I'm not saying we should go and waste money or, 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 or take unnecessary risks, but it is possible to be a little bit more fluid in, in our terms, in the boundaries of what is and isn't the right player when we have more money to spend. Because when you've only got a limited amount, you have to be absolutely correct. We don't have, I'm not saying we don't have a limited amount, but the amount we have is, is, is huge. Uh, in relation to what it was a couple of uh, couple of years ago, so we can afford to take a little bit more of a risk. So it's the the ever changing sands of what constitutes the right player. I don't, you know, I don't get it. No, <laughs> uh, I don't really either. And I think it, we've talked about it before as a kind of Goldilocks effect of looking for the perfect player. I mean, look at the the Mustafi case at the moment. It seems that he's been identified as the right man and yet there's dithering, there's haggling, it's dragging on and everything you hear from inside the club is about Arsene Wenger's indecisiveness. You know, the agents almost mm. roll their eyes at interest at Arsenal because they know it will get pursued to a certain point and then Arsene will delay or change his mind or shift targets and it happens time and time and time again and there's a lack of conviction in the way they do business and ultimately... Are we saying if if we can't bring in the right player, are we saying the guys that we have are the right players? Does that mean Alexis Sanchez is the right player at centre forward? I'm not necessarily convinced it does. Yeah. So it's I think it's more about trying to find superior options than the perfect option. Sure. Um, but I mean that's the whole point, isn't it, of of buying players is to improve your squad. I mean, c- yeah. continuously saying you only want players who can improve your squad. Well, of course, that's the whole point. But, you know, sometimes um, somebody who who comes from the outside um, improves your squad just by being there because your squad is short and because it needs options, you know? Mm, absolutely. What, what, I, I, one of the comments I found most strange, I mean, it's it's a valid point, but it was, was the one about, you know, first we need to think about we're a club of 600 employees and we need to you know make sure we have our responsibilities there i understand the point he's making about this isn't just a billionaire's plaything you know there are budgets but i think as someone who was kind of sold that you know two or three years ago the dream of oh we can do things that excite you by even gazidis mm. to now hear people talking about we've got to pay our 600 employees and make sure everyone's all right I'm a bit like, oh come on! I, I I get frustrated at the the lack of the lack of ambition in the rhetoric around the club at times. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, frankly, that comment was a load of bollocks. Yeah, it really was. It's completely irrelevant to to anything. 
Nobody is saying that we should go and spend every single penny that the club has, every single bit of the club's payroll, just to bring in a striker. And like, oh, next week, you know, we can let the catering staff and the marketing staff and every other bit of, you know, staff that we have, we'll worry about them afterwards. Nobody is saying that. The other thing is that there are clear lines between what the club has budgeted for transfers and bringing in new players, uh, player purchases and wages, and its operating costs in general. So there was, you know, there's absolutely no need to make that comment whatsoever. Mm. You know, as again, is just pure distraction, uh, a complete straw man argument um, that, that, you know, he sort of uses to, to, to preach this sort of fiscal responsibility, which is, you know, is fine, but nobody is saying otherwise. Nobody is saying that he should do what he's saying he's not going to do. Yeah, I think that's it. I think you're absolutely right. It's it's bizarre. It's is so uh, reactionary. You know, no one's asking him to bankrupt the club. Mm. They just want him to improve the squad. And those two things, you know, are separate. Exactly. Are distinct. I, I think, you know, and I'll stand to be corrected here. And if anyone wants to take me to task on this, please feel free. Because I can, I can only speak for myself. Um, but I suspect the wide feeling amongst Arsenal fans is all they want the club to do is use the resources they have and they've worked really hard for and sacrificed a lot over the years by building the new stadium, by coming through a period of financial uh, you know, austerity, uh, everything else. All people want is for them to use what they have at their disposal. The reason they worked hard to build a new stadium is to have this money to improve the team. Is that mm-hmm. not the end game? Was that not the whole fucking point? of building a new stadium, of generating these new revenue streams, of increasing our commercial deals, was so that we would have more money to buy better players, to make a better team, so we would be more successful on the pitch. Am I wrong? <laughs> Answer, people. Shout back. I, I mean, I can't see that, that, you know, that is all people want. They don't want fucking 100 million on Pogba. I mean, it would be great, but, you know, that's not what anybody is screaming for. All anybody wants is for the club just to do its best with what it has. And, you know, we don't want you to live outside your means, but stop living within your means. I I mean, absolutely. And I think, you know, fans obviously uh, in various ways support the club or put money into the club. And I think... Obviously, that only level that only increases and exacerbates the frustration, doesn't it? When you're, mm. you know, particularly those who are at the Leicester game, paying for tickets or what have you, they you know might be season ticket holders back at home. Mm. Uh, when they do chance spend some money, it's because they think, well, we're continuing to invest in this club in a way, and that it's not being reflected in in the way the club operates. Mm. I, yeah, it's uh, it's it's really really maddening, but I think that. At this stage of the window, it's almost less about the philosophical discussion. That's almost more a discussion that is suitable at the start of the transfer window, at the outset when plans are being made. But at this stage, it's a mad, you know, kick bollock scramble now to get things done, right? Mm. Because what are we less than ten days away from the the closure of the window? And I think we've left ourselves with a, an absolutely an enormous amount to do. Yeah. What did you make of the comment about how fans looking for the club to spend money were 
highly influenced by the media. On the Arsenal website, uh, they transcribed that from the press conference. It said, we are highly influenced by the media. So that's part of the process today. But he quite specifically said, they are highly influenced by the media. So that's that's part of the process today. That's the one that got to me more than anything else, to be perfectly honest. Um, you know, I mean, th- there's, there's obviously an element of truth in that. Because you know what we could do? Uh, like right now, I could... I could write a story on Arsblog News and I could write a headline that says, manager says Arsenal fans are silly twats, right? Mm. And I could publish that, but in the body of the article, I could write, um, I don't know, Bob Manager 23 from Essex says that Arsenal fans are silly twats, right? But what will happen is people will look at the headline and, and go ballistic. Uh, simply, you know, when it goes out there, they go, oh, my God, can we call the silly twats? So there is a certain element of that. But I think people are, are far more influenced by what they see on the pitch and what they see the club do. Uh, and and uh, the other side of that is I think a lot of the media take their cues from uh, from fans these days, particularly the print media, who've got all day to monitor what's going on on social media and then regenerate those stories into something the next day. Yes, I think that's it. I mean, obviously, we're all influenced by the media. I mean, that's sort of uh, a, a given. But if Arsene believes that the media are leading some kind of conspiracy against him, and that the fans are sort of suckers into that, I think he's. I think he's living in a, a fantasy, really. I mean, I. I, I just don't <sighs> look as as one of those fans. I find it a bit insulting really to suggest that our views are just so purely colored by you know reporting or tabloid mm. reporting or whatever i think that it doesn't take if you if you strip the media away it's not as if we're winning everything <laughs> Do you know what i mean yeah. uh it's not as if if we're just watching what happens on the field we wouldn't have concerns about the strength of the side or wouldn't arrive at those concerns without you know the the performances being through the through the prism of the media. Yeah, um, people make their own judgments as well based on their eyes. And and he's right; the media are hugely influential in the way football is discussed in this country. But uh, I think what's more influential often the media agenda is governed by what the fans are saying, which is their own opinion. Absolutely, you know? and for the most part, that that comes. Uh, by what they see on the pitch and what they see happening off the pitch and, you know, things that the clubs say um, by their own admission. Arsenal have said that they need a striker and they need central defender. They've said they're working hard to bring in players that we need. So that message of needing players isn't coming from the media. It's not just the media saying that. It's not just the media influencing fans into thinking that we need new players. A, the club have said it. B, the fans know it anyway. And C, the media like lag way behind. They're only uh, feeding off the other two things. So it's um, very strange. I don't know. I don't know what he was thinking there when he said that. To be perfectly honest, because it was quite a div- uh, a statement that might be considered divisive. And you know, he's generally always you know he's tried not to do that in in certain ways because he understands the need to have the fans on side and behind the team. You know, when, excuse me, when people talk about, let's say, a poor atmosphere at the Emirates, he'll talk about, well, it's not the fans' uh, fault. It's up to the team to to inspire the players or uh, to inspire the fans, rather, I should say, you know? Uh, So I I thought that was a little bit out of character. 
Yeah, I, I, I think you're right as well that it's not us who, well, Arsenal fans do know we need a striker because, as I say, people can make their own conclusions based on what happens on the field. But it's Arsene and the club who went out and bid for Jamie Vardy. You know, that mm. is the admission there that we need a forward. Uh, you can see it. So to now claim that we don't mm. feels like a very strange climb down, you know. So I, I, I thought it was... Uh, I mean, I hope it's not indicative of the way this season's going to go because you do feel like the divisions between the manager and the fans deepen, you know, mm. by the month. And uh, with with so much at stake this season, with it being the last year of his contract, I feel like there's potential for that to get kind of uglier and uglier, really. Mm. Which worries me. Yeah, it is a bit of a worry. You know, there was a video went around after the uh, final whistle uh, at the Leicester game, and there were not a, a, an insignificant number of fans uh, singing about wanting Arsene Wenger out. Uh, and, you know, coming from the away fans who do it through thick and thin, I think that says a lot. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, they're incredibly loyal, a lot of those travelling fans. So I think uh, as a kind of, you know, bellwether of uh, mm. fan opinion, that's uh, a troubling one, definitely. All right, well, look, um, still a point on the board. That's good. Um, clean sheet, that's good. And uh, now we go to Watford away on Saturday. We'll, we'll have to wait yeah, and see. A, a point on the window, but... A point on the window, a point on the board, but five <laughs> five points off some clubs already. I mean, that's you know, that's yeah. the way it goes, I guess. You, you always worry, Jose Mourinho teams—they're fast starters, aren't they? they yeah, they sure are. They, they run sure from the are. front. All right. Well, look, we're going to take a break. We're going to cover Joel Campbell. We're going to cover uh, all the other bits and pieces in your questions and more right after this. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer the questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog. But before we get into them, James, some big news. Mm-hmm. Mm. Should we start spreading the news? Ah, lovely. Nice. Lovely work. Let's start spreading the news. We're leaving in... September. Yes, at the end of September, we are going to be doing a live Arscast Extra in New York City. The Big Apple. Mm. 
biggest apple I've ever seen. I'm very excited, actually. Yeah, it's going to be great. It's the weekend of the Chelsea game, so we're uh, likely to have plenty to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Is it home or away, that Chelsea game? I mean, obviously, we're away. We're in New York. Yeah, we're going to be away. Uh, I'm just going to have a look here now. We should know this. I know. You know well it's at home. So we've got a puncher's chance. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, quite exciting. Uh, so, what have, have you got the details to add? Yeah, we are going to be uh, over there. Obviously, we'll be watching the uh, the Arsenal Chelsea game um, in a bar called Barleycorn uh, in New York City, uh, which is the newest bar for the uh, Arsenal NYC group. You can find out more details about them if you're not already aware uh, on their Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Arsenal NYC. So we'll be there. What time is the game kicking off, actually? It's a 5.30 it's a five in thir- British Okay, time. so that's a 12.30 New York time kickoff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, nice lunchtime kickoff. few afternoon beers. Watch the game. Yeah, lovely. Perfect timing. Be absolutely fucking shit-faced and home in bed by 7 o'clock that <laughs> evening. <laughs> um, so we'll be watching the game. But then on Sunday the 25th, the evening of Sunday the 25th, we are going to be doing a live podcast from the bar, um, talking about the game, doing all the usual bits and pieces with the questions and the answers and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know, we'll see if we can see if we can find some people to come and join us, will we? Yeah, hopefully. That'd be lovely. That'd be great. Um, so, yeah, I don't know what the details are regarding admission and everything else, uh, but Arsenal NYC will have uh, all the information that you need, uh, facebook.com forward slash Arsenal NYC. And, of course, we'll update on the Arse blog Facebook page as well, which is facebook.com forward slash the Arse blog. But that's going to be quite cool. It's going to be very cool indeed. Yeah. Sorry, London, we've got bigger fish to fry. <laughs> but we'll be back, London, don't you worry. No, don't you worry. We will return. We will. Um, unless there's a terrible mishap. So, <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're travelling with me. I mean, anything could happen. I'm not travelling with you. I'm meeting you there. I was very clear about this a few weeks ago. Right. If we okay. ever have to go anywhere, it'll be, I'll see you there. Yeah. Yeah. You're not getting on a plane with me on it. That's very, <laughs> very sensible. Uh, right, shall we get some questions? Yes, let's do questions. Well, let's let's start with with Joel Campbell. Okay, um, I've got one. Well, I've got one here from at Marky two four nine who says, "Do you think we should have loaned out Arsene Wenger and kept Joel Campbell?" <laughs> uh, and then Andrew Dickens asks, uh, "Do you think Campbell's loan signals a a big signing, b Nabry in the first team, or c the end of days?" B, I think it's to do with making space in the squad for Serge Gnabry, to be perfectly honest. I mean, the the Campbell situation is, I mean, nobody is surprised in any way, are they, that he's been sent on loan? Uh, I'm a tiny bit surprised. I mean, I'm not surprised in terms of the fact that it's been quite clear for some time that he wasn't really Arsene's man. But I just thought at a stage where, you know, we're having a discussion about a a lack of... uh, a lack of strength potentially mm. in the attacking department. I am a bit surprised to see him go, but uh, yeah, he's never quite fancied him, has he? That's the thing. That is it. I mean, regardless of how well he's played, regardless of how hard he's worked, um, and I think what's for you know what what I think Campbell's a good player, uh, and he showed himself to be a good player last season. I don't think he's a brilliant player, but I think he's a player who could have done a job in this squad um, for this season. I do wonder if Arsene Wenger is taking a bit of a gamble on Serge Gnabry being able to do a bit more than what Campbell did last season if he was given the same amount of playing time. Mm. I don't think it's a precursor to a new signing, 
Uh, I just think it's uh, a manager who has never been fully convinced by a player now sees that he's got an internal solution uh, to take his place in the squad. Somebody who who he probably believes can be better or who has more potential. Um, and that's that's what he's done. He didn't include him in the opening day of the season. Um, he didn't include him for the squad yesterday. And it's fairly clear his mind has been made up um, for for quite a while about Joel Campbell. I mean, do you feel like he's been treated unfairly? I thought he was at the stages last season. I always remember that Barcelona game coming round, that home tie, and Campbell had been in and out of the team, but generally performing very well. And then on the night, he was dropped for Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, who was really disappointing. Mm. And I remember thinking, well, that tells us everything we need to know about Campbell's place in the pecking order in Arsene's mind. Um I think he, and the fact he wasn't involved at the, the back end of last season at all, really, was surprising given how effective he'd been in the winter months. I, uh, I, I'm i sorry to see him go, I'll be honest, because, you know, you're right, he's not spectacular, he's not world-class, but he's a very, very solid squad player. And he's, uh, unlike a lot of our attacking players, someone who you can absolutely rely on defensively. They're very diligent, he's very diligent. Mm. Um, he tracks back, he likes to tackle, and it, you know, he he, has, he is creative too. I mean, some brilliant passing last season. You'll always remember that uh, assist for Olivier Giroud. Was it in Greece? Olympiacos, yeah. yeah fantastic. Ab- absolutely superb. I mean, he had some great moments like that. And at Anfield in January in that 3 all draw, I remember him as being outstanding. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a player who presumably wants to play every week and he'll get that opportunity uh, sporting. Mm. But uh, it seems to me that you're right and that the performances of Nabri, particularly, or Gnabry, sorry, uh, particularly at the Olympics, have convinced Arsene to, uh, you know, to, to try and find a place for him in the squad. That is a gamble, though. You know, Campbell uh, was, to an extent, a known quantity. Mm. Nabri, for all his promise, has had a very, very difficult couple of years and hasn't made any kind of impression on the first team for, for some time. So it's, you know, it'll be interesting to see to what extent he, he manages to break through. I mean, there might be other players factoring into the manager's thinking too. I mean, uh, obviously there's Alex Awobi, but Jeffrey and Adelaide as well has yeah. been promoted to the first-team squad and, and operates in similar parts of the pitch. So maybe that's in the manager's thinking as well. But I'm I'm disappointed, I would say, to see... I'm, I'm sorry to see him go. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think what 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 often made him stood out was the difference in attitude between him and some of the players who it feels have been a little bit indulged by Arsene Wenger down the years. Say, uh, say a Walcott, for example. Well, yeah, but, you know, Oxlade-Chamberlain to an extent as well. You know, yeah. I want to I want to ask you, when you were watching the game, um, I'm not going to name the two players, even though we've just spoken about them, <laughs> mm-hmm. but there were two moments in the second half when both Oxlade-Chamberlain and Walcott didn't go in for 50-50s that they should have. I don't know if anyone else noticed this. There was one Oxlade-Chamberlain was more in midfield. Walcott's, um, I can't quite remember where it was, but there was one where Oxlade-Chamberlain looked like if he'd gone for it, he could have really gone in for it. And I do wonder, 
whether that's a consequence of the the fifty fifty went into that got himself injured, well exactly, uh, you yeah, know, or be. but you know that it's just that having that little bit extra bit of desire, you know, it's moments like that. If you win a fifty fifty high up the pitch, that you catch a defence on awares and you can create something, you can make something happen. Uh, and Campbell was always willing to do his defensive work. He was always willing to do the running, um, and I think that made him stand out perhaps more than the quality of his football, was that he was so at odds with some of the other players in the side um, that, that uh, you know, it, it set him apart in, in some ways. And I think when the team isn't playing well, when you've got a guy whose attitude is absolutely spot on, it's little wonder that, you know, he becomes a favourite. So I think that's uh, uh, playing a part as well. Yeah, that's that's probably true. But I think some of those qualities are similar to those that made Francis Cochrane stand out when he came into the side, you know. But he was, I guess he, he did so in an area of the field where we were that much more desperate, you know, that he became so integral so quickly. Yeah. Campbell um, has some of those qualities, some of that hunger, some of that bite, some of that desire, but he's operating in a part of the pitch where Wenger has so many other options uh, that he's kind of been squeezed out. But what, what mm. I definitely don't think is I don't feel like this is indicative of a... I'd love to think it was indicative of an imminent signing, but that's not the impression that I have. Mm. A couple of sort of extra questions on that. Um, Michael at Euler56 says, Campbell and Chesney have both gone on loan again. Both have no future here. Why can't we sell them? Or why won't we sell them? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, so, for example, I, I don't necessarily... In the case of Campbell, I don't really foresee... I don't see this as a move to sort of get him more experience and bring him back. No. You know, I feel like he's at a stage now where if Wenger trusted him, he'd be part of the squad. And no, play. he's absolutely toast, yeah. Yeah. Why can't we sell him? I mean, I don't know. There, there's an argument, of course, that because the money in the Premier League is so great and so massive, the wages of the players are now so much uh, higher than than those of their European counterparts that it becomes impossible for clubs to match those salaries. So even if, you know, there's, it's become, going to become an increasing trend where when players move abroad from the Premier League, English clubs might have to keep contributing to them for a salary perspective. Oh, do you, think, do you think this could be part of why Arsene Wenger is perhaps reluctant to spend in the sense that, no, genuinely, that if... He's looking at purchases or looking at players that he's going to bring in. He's going to go, okay, well, I'm going to have to pay X million for him. I'm going to have to pay him X million a week because, you know, there's his transfer fee has an impact on the salary that we're going to pay him. Mm. If he doesn't work out, who the hell is going to buy him? Well, this is it. There is this risk of the, the British market becoming an isolated market because no one on the continent can take your player that you're paying crazy money to in the Premier League off you at that rate. So I I do wonder if it's going to become increasingly difficult for Premier League clubs to offload players outside of Britain. Um, whether that contributes to why we're loaning these players, I don't know. Mm. If it's because we're still paying 20-30% of their wages, I don't know. Um, but I would hazard a guess that that might be part of it. Right. Because Campbell signed a contract not too long ago, but I, I, I think um, I would imagine that this deal and the Chesney deal that's mentioned, uh, I would imagine they both have clauses built into them that enable a, a permanent move being an option. Because mm. 
the fact that they've they've been let go on loan suggests that you know, maybe their future does lie elsewhere. Mm. Uh, Ian Wright, not the Ian Wright, but at IH Wright asks uh, again about Campbell. Is loaning Campbell now the perfect example to demonstrate Arsene Wenger's tone deafness slash disregard for optics in the sense that Campbell is obviously a very popular player? There's been a backlash to this, but, you know, ultimately he'll do what he wants. He will, but I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily base squad building on, you know, well, uh, the fans will be upset about him. He's got to do what he thinks is right. Even uh, even when he's wrong, um, but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean the backlash is interesting, isn't it? Campbell a couple of years ago was a, a kind of joke figure at the club, and it, you know it's true to say that we would sort of herald his return from loan only to see him depart again uh, without any great impact, you know. Uh, but he he, he made a, a place for himself in the squad, and I think. I think you're right. I think he became a symbol of something. I think his hard-working play and his kind of, um, I guess, kind of underdog spirit almost symbolised something. It became a kind of... He he became a symbol of frustration with other players in the squad. Do you know what I mean? He yeah. was kind of the the fans' choice because they felt that he was there on merit rather than because he'd been indulged. Yeah, at least if the football is shit, you know, the, the, at least this guy's working hard and he's trying his best. You're yeah, not standing fans, there looking at players run past him and stuff. And fans love that. I mean, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, of course fans love that. They want to see players who match their commitment to the club out on the field, or at least it feels like that. Yeah. And um, so, I, I, you know, I understand why he became a bit of a champion of the fans, and I can understand they're frustrated that he's gone. Look, there's a very quick fix and a very easy solution, and it's bringing a, a superior attacker. But whether or not it happens, we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look. Do you have any? What's your uh, What's your feeling about this last few days of the window? Are you Are you Do you have any optimism at all? Um, look, <laughs> <laughs> that's a great Arsene Wenger start to answer. Yeah. Look, uh, <laughs> look. Uh, here's what I think. Right at this moment in time, I think we are. Obviously, the start of the season has been really poor. I think that our transfer business has been poor. Uh, the key areas of the team remain unaddressed, and there are issues with the way that the team is playing. And I think all of those things, with the with the clamor that goes with with signings and transfers, you know, I, I don't. I'm not suggesting for one moment that we don't need them, but there is like a really intense focus on transfers during the transfer window. People. People fucking love transfers. They get so invested in the whole thing and they, you know, and there's good reason for that. But I think at times it goes a little bit loopy as well, right? I think all of that is feeding into this uh, this negativity or, you know, it's creating a cloud of negativity around uh, around the club, which, you know, the club have to take some responsibility for as well because of the, you know, basically one point from six is a shit start to the season. If we were to sign a couple of good players and things clicked in terms of results and in terms of performances, then I think, you know, we'd start feeling a little bit brighter about things. But like you, I have reservations about what exactly it is that we're going to do because uh, because of what he said, because of what he keeps saying about uh, attracting quality, because of, you know, using examples. Uh, you know, uh, we have uh, the other week he was asked about uh, – Giroud being missing and, you know, who else could he play as a striker says, we have Alexis, we have Walcott, you know, th- there doesn't seem to be any, anything other than lip service paid to the idea that these transfers are really necessary. Mm. Um, so at this point, I'm resigned to not very much happening, to be perfectly honest. 
Mm -hmm. But I would obviously be delighted if a lot more than that went down. But quite frankly, you know, when you've had a whole summer to do stuff and you haven't done it, you know, I just don't see it happening between now and the end of the window. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm being terribly pessimistic here, but just from everything that's happening and everything that's being said and all this talk about money and having to pay 600 employees, I mean, is there a is there a corporate message coming down there? Here's a question. I think it's from uh, Indigo, at Indigo underscore light. And he, he goes back to the, uh, the 600 employees thing. He said, uh, what do you think of the fact that he said this in the exact same words on French and British TV? I mean, could, could the conspiracy theorists, uh, conspiracy theorists read something into that? Like, is there, is there, are there bigger issues? Is this coming from on high, perhaps? Or are we, is that just trying to find a, an excuse where there isn't really one? I think what's more likely is that Arsene sort of came up with the line and, you know, liked it and felt it was, <laughs> felt it was smart and an effective way of dealing with these questions. <clears throat> yeah. Maybe it's possible that there's a directive from above, but I'm not sure that there is much above Arsene Wenger at Arsenal, you know, particularly yeah. when it comes to the transfer market. I think what's more likely is that he's landed on it and seen it as something he can roll out in different interviews. As discussed, I sort of think it's bullshit. You know, I sort of think it's not relevant. Yeah. Um, it actually annoys me a bit because <laughs> I sort of think, uh, you know, that that's just not that's just not the situation that's at hand. That's not what's being discussed. No one's saying we shouldn't pay the stewards. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's insane. But um, I think, uh, yeah, I, I think the fact that he's rolling it out in different interviews, what that tells us most is that that's the message he wants to get out. Exactly, it's a, it's the, it's what he wants to say. It's his view of the transfer market at the moment and his view of uh, his view of the club's position. Mm, yeah. So yeah, my my basic feeling is that you know I don't think it would take a huge amount to turn things around in terms of what we all think, but. When it comes to transfers, I'll be pleasantly surprised. I will be very pleasantly surprised if good players arrive between now and the end of the window. But realistically, or just in in my gut, I'm I'm not expecting a lot. I think, for, for what it's worth, I think that uh, they will do a centre back because I think they have to. <laughs> but I've said that before. Um, I also think they have to do a striker, but I think they won't get that done. So I think it'll be a centre-back and that'll be mm. that'll be a lot. Mm. Um, well, we touched on this before, but I'll ask you more directly. Jamie Parker at Parkerino asks, do you feel that the writing is on the wall for Chambers now as Holding was picked ahead of him? Yeah, yeah particularly if they do buy a centre-half. Uh, although there might be room in the squad for him as the backup right back. I mean, Matthew Debushi has not been in the squad for the, for the opening two games. He's definitely not going to be happy about that. He's somebody who I would see leaving the club, probably another loan. Um, you know, I know there are French clubs interested in, in him, but they can't afford the, the transfer fee or the wages. I think Bordeaux were talking about that a few weeks back. You know, they'd love to have him back, but just in terms of wages. So he might be another one that we send out. Um, you know, it, oftentimes a door can be closing on a player and circumstances can, can open things up. Um, but if Holding stays fit, if we bring in another centre-half, if Koscielny stays fit, I mean, I think what, what's 
one of the things we've um, we've overlooked uh, when talking about Cassiano, I'll come back to this in a minute because I've got a question on it, is Arsene Wenger saying that they travelled with a squad of 19. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know who the 19th was uh, to Leicester, but they scramble, or travel with a squad it of was, 19. It uh, Bielik, actually. Well, all right, okay. Well, that makes sense then. Yeah. Um, and he said about Koscielny, he had a big back problem yesterday when he came out of training. So, A, there's Koscielny just coming back from his holidays, and B, with a big back problem. And during the game, if you looked at him, he was grimacing quite considerably a number of times. Um, and maybe that's just a physical fitness thing. Maybe that's you know not being qu- quite up to speed in terms of uh, match fitness. And he obviously put in a huge amount of effort to, to play as well as he did. Um, so, yeah... It would be concerning if we had to keep playing him with that kind of a back problem. But I think just the decision to choose holding over Chambers at this point, again, it's a little bit, it's a bit like the Joel Campbell situation. You feel like Arsene Wenger isn't necessarily convinced by Callum Chambers in any one position. He didn't use him very often at centre half last season. He didn't use him very often at right back. He didn't use him very often at all. And I think that tells you as much as you need to know about about his future. Now, he could come into the side and play well, but my feeling is that he could be somebody who, if not in this transfer window, probably in January, uh, if uh, injuries and fitness permit, uh, he could be on his way. What do you reckon? Well, I th- uh, you know, when Holding was signed and Gabriela Mertzaka was still, well, or at least Holding was being talked about as an option, and Gabriela Mertzaka was still fit, I think we might have said even on the podcast that it looked as if Holding might come in to allow Chambers to go out on loan, you know, and, and mm. maybe develop that way. Obviously, the subsequent injuries have made that less likely. But, yeah, I, I don't think it looks good for Chambers that he's been kind of superseded by a younger, less experienced player, newer on the scene. Um I don't think Chambers is a right back, really. Mm. I think, you know, what happened with Jefferson Montero would happen to him again. I think his lack of pace is always going to be a problem in that position. Uh, I think, yeah, I think were it not for the severity of the injury situation, then he, he probably he probably would be on his way. Most likely on loan, partly because it seems that's the only way we can get rid of players these days. Yeah. Uh, but also because, you know, the potential remains there. It's just a question of whether or not he's going to get the, the necessary experience to to fulfil it at Arsenal. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, uh, where's my question here? Uh, uh, a view of your Arsenal, at a view of your arse, wants to know, do you think Arsene Wenger's decision to hold Koscielny back last week has been vindicated uh, with injuries to others? I think uh, Bakary Sanya, people said, well, Bakary Sanya played for Man City and Payet played for West Ham, and who was the other one? There was somebody else... Um, Hugo Loris mm. for Tottenham. Um, you know, players who have been caught, who've been brought back straight away have ended up injured. Not all of them, but some of them. I mean, I guess it's vindicated to an extent, but that is. But then on the other side of the coin, it sounds as if Koscielny did pick up a problem, right, in training in the week before, or at least had this this back problem. So, <laughs> I mean, we got away with it, right? It feels like we got away with it with Koscielny. Yeah. Um, and we ha- we had to. I mean, I think it's what is most vindicated by is the result and the clean sheet, uh, which was a dramatic transformation from how poor we were against Liverpool. But it's not ideal. I mean, I think, you know, Arsene, when do you think he would have liked to have brought Koscielny back in? Probably not this week either. Um, yeah. 
I think he would have liked to have given given him more time. I think if if Mertesacker and Gabrielle had been fit, I think he would have he would have kept him out a little bit a little bit later. I mean, Koscielny himself said, "Look, we needed the extra week. We only came back to training. We weren't fit," is what he said himself. I mean, we have to take the player at his word. If he didn't feel like he was match fit, um, and Arsene Wenger was um, determined to give him the rest, then. You know, the bigger issue, of course, was not strengthening the centre of defence when we knew that Mertesacker was injured, and and then we obviously paid for that doubly when when Gabriel got injured. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think the decision was right. I think the manager is criticised time and time again for bringing back players far too quickly, and there's a lot of truth in that. So I don't know that you can you can criticise him by doing what most people would consider to be the right thing. In this say, in this sense, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. I think uh, you know, on balance, we got it just about right. I think it was definitely correct to not play Koscielny against Liverpool. Imagine, imagine a serious injury being picked up in that game, mm. the position that would leave us in, you know. Yeah, uh, and I think it was probably on balance right to bring him back for Leicester, especially, especially given the improvement that we subsequently made. Yeah. Okay, your question. <laughs> Here's a good question. Uh, question now. Okay, this is from Matthew Osborne, who's at Matty Arse. Uh, and he says, Wilfred Boney, available, but is he good enough? Would it add some depth up front? Yes, it would add some depth up front. And if you'd asked me at the start of the transfer window, would I like Wilfred Boney? I would have said no. I would have mm-hmm. said someone better, please. But I think what what's happening now, and there's a part of me that wonders if the inability to find players informs the decision to wait longer so we enter beggars can't be choosers territory. So basically somebody is better than nobody at all. And at this moment in time, he's pretty much one of those, isn't he? He's... You know, it would be better to have him than than not have anyone. Um, yeah, yeah, that, that, that's definitely true. But you know, it's not necessarily an inspiring signing or one that would make you think, "Well, this guy is going to make all the difference." I know he had one really great season. Could have been. Oh God, let me. Have, I'm going to have to look him up here. A couple of years ago at Swansea, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, look, he. Uh, He's being linked with West Ham, who are trying to get him on loan, I think. Slaven Bilic has spoken very positively about him. When he was at Swansea, you know, he was a player that people talked about as a, a potential Arsenal target, and, and not in disparaging terms by any stretch. Um, I think, obviously, the fact that he's attempted to make the step up by going to Manchester City, and it hasn't necessarily panned out for him, mm. uh, is what causes the concern. But I think he scored 26 goals in 54 league games for Swansea. I mean, it's a very, it's a decent record, you know, for a side that weren't any great shakes particularly. Um, but then six in 36 appearances for City. So, I don't know. He, 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 what, what you would say about Boney is he doesn't really fit the mould of kind of, he's no Vardy, is he? He's a very different kind of player. He's sort of like a shorter, quicker Giroud. Yeah. Sort of. Sort of, But yeah. with a kind of Walcottian first touch. <laughs> yeah, he sounds ideal. But no, I think he's I think he's not 
he's not massively, uh, although he's, he could, he's got a little bit of sprint speed, he's not massively mobile. He's a guy who likes to take the ball into feet or into chest or on his head. Mm. Very powerful, a, a very good finisher. But, um, I mean, yeah, we're in that situation where, you know, Danny Welbeck wasn't necessarily the striker everybody desperately wanted us to get, but we needed a striker at that time, right? Yeah. And I feel like Boney's kind of in that category of competent Premier League forward who is, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like yeah, better, yeah, yeah, than, yeah. better, better than, than Sonogo. <laughs> better than nobody. I mean, that's, I think, where we are. That's where our expectations have to be. You know, whatever about, um, you know, super, super quality or or only finding players who can improve us, we're in someone is better than nobody kind of territory right now. Mm. Um, and, and he would certainly be one of the prime someone to be better than nobody candidates out there. I know there have been a few others named. I can't remember who at this point, but um, yeah, I mean... It feels like, you know, if that's going to happen, uh, it will be very late in the day, won't it? It'll be a kind of like, well, there's always this option kind of thing. But what, would would City sanction that? Would they allow that to happen? Well, if Guardiola doesn't want him, I don't think he would be... I don't think he'd be Mourinho-esque, would he? And, like, do the Demba Ba thing on us. Maybe not. I mean, Maybe there's not. the thing. If we were quite prepared to take Demba Ba on loan a couple of seasons ago... I mean, why the fuck wouldn't we? You know, how do you how do you justify that one? Damn I, look, I'd rather look. If you said to me, you can have a squad which is the current strikers you've got, or you can have a squad which is the current strikers you've got plus Wilfred Boney. Of those two options, I'm taking the second one. Mm. Yeah, it doesn't mean that he's the perfect striker, or that there's not a better striker out there we could get. But if the choice is him or nobody. It's him. But then that's going to be true in a lot of cases. Yeah. I saw Shane Long linked the other day. I got nothing to say to that. <laughs> <laughs> I really oh, don't. The sights have dropped. I mean, it is crazy, isn't it? You know, we started this summer being like, after years of trying, this has got to be the summer where we get the striker. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. That was the whole agenda, really. Yeah. Um, and it's... It's just completely failed to come to and there was there wasn't one option. There were about six on the table. You know, we talked about Murata, we talked about Lukaku, um, more names, more more names, Lacazette, Vardy, uh, Batshuayi to an extent, and yeah. they just all they've all come and gone. Lukaku announced staying at, at Everton this yeah. weekend. That's another one off the table. Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, so yeah, I'm like you. If if I you know if we go into the end of the uh, the window and it's bony or nobody, I'll I'll take him just because I think we need we need somebody, we definitely need somebody. But it's we a do, bit like it's a bit like wanting to get a bike for Christmas and coming downstairs and seeing a chair with some wheels on it. Yeah, there you go. I mean, exactly. You're not happy about it, but it's like, right, well, do you want me to take away the chair with the wheels? I know how I will No, I need that. it. I'll need it. I'll go to school on my my wheelchair wheels. Not a, like a wheelchair, if that makes it sound bad. But. Ideally, you'd be like, can I have that wheel with chairs, sorry, chair with wheels on loan? And then if a, a, a genuine bike becomes available, say, in January or next summer, yeah, I, you know, I could buy that bike then. Yeah, but then your chair with wheels becomes your longest serving player eventually. True. Yeah, that's what happens. Eventually they end up as club captain and it's their <laughs> testimonial. 
All right, listen, we're going to almost leave it there, but I've got one final question for you here. Uh, this comes from Sid Kahare, I think it is. Sid Kahare or Sid Kari, mm-hmm. 88. And um, I don't know if you noticed, but um, Vic Akers was, was rubbing things on players before they came on. He had to rub something on Olivier Giroud. Probably a bit of what, some sort of like a Vic, yeah, 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 like that kind of thing. But he, he wants to know, if you had to get Vic Akers to rub something on your body, what would it be and why? Well, it would be some delicious Hartley's jam. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks to the guys at Hartley for my mm. lifetime supply of jam. Did you get yours yet? Uh, do you know what? It's been delivered to my home in London, so sadly not. Right. Oh, speaking of the product testing, I almost forgot to mention. What? My friend Joe McGrath sent me a picture of a, a special kind of deodorant that he acquired in South America, which has David Ospina no on the way. packet. No way. David yes. Ospina deodorant. Yes, it's called Arden for Men, and it's David Ospina deodorante. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll send you a picture and we can tweet it out. It's extraordinary. Brilliant. It's a special Ospina brand of, you know, antiperspirant. Um, and he asked me, I like to keep my antiperspirant in safe hands. I see what he's done there. Oh. Um, which Arsenal player would you want on your deodorant? Which Arsenal player would I want on my deodorant? Oh, I'm trying to think who would be the most fragrant. fragrant. Like, Jack Wilshire has got a smell of, like, all the links. Yeah. Mixed together. And then, so. yeah, that can't, so it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be Jack Wilshire. I think probably, um, I think probably Santi Cazorla. Just, really? I feel like there's, there's probably a musk of, of, of ham. Often. Oh, lovely. Yeah, ham just on. a little, yeah, ham on musk. Scent of ham on ruffles. Yeah, exactly. Creeping over the air towards you. Exactly, exactly. You know, he doesn't strike me as a particularly, uh, unpleasantly smelling chap like i wouldn't say like maybe i'm being mean here but you know i i I wouldn't like to smell gabrielle's armpit no fair (laughs) enough i wouldn't i would join you in that i think i'd probably go for Giroud. i just imagine the man smells constantly if you know a cocktail of colognes that he applies before he goes on the field yeah uh so for me I want Giroud all over all over my spray can. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's uh, amazing. I mean, a spina branching out. Wow. Well, I mean, he's got plenty of time on his hands, doesn't he? Well, exactly. You know, what else is he going to do? Yeah. Well, I mean, what are the what are the big deodorants like? Right guard. Right guard. Sure uh, for men. Sure. Yeah. It won't let you down. <laughs> Who would be that guy? Uh, what would you want rubbed on yourself, by the way? Um, it would depend on the circumstances on which it was being rubbed. I mean, is this before I go out onto a football pitch? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm, it's, it's I, I, yeah, you're about to go on the football pitch. I'm guessing there'll be no other reason for Vic Akers to be smearing me with, with some kind of lotion or poultice. Well, who knows? I don't know. Well, no, there wouldn't be. I don't know Vic well. No, there wouldn't be. I'm just <laughs> saying. That would be. Um, I think it would probably, like, something gross right something like the essence of skunk if you're going on because it'd be really off-putting to the defenders to wouldn't keep it the markers at bay yeah exactly they'd be going i'm, I'm gonna get touch tight to this guy uh, or no. something very slippery you know so it's like they don't want to they can't get they can't get near you yeah but they're not allowed to grab you now if you didn't already see mike dean giving the penalties for holding in the box did you see the penalty he gave against raheem sterling 
I did actually, yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? Like, whatever yeah, about grabbing like, somebody's arm like Shawcross did, but that Sterling thing, oh, Jesus. Curious, wasn't it? Yeah. Very strange. Yeah. Um, I think, yes, okay, some sort of essence of skunk. I think that's a good choice, to be honest. Or you could just uh, rub uh, Gabrielle's sweat all over you. Yes, Gabrielle's would... armpit just, you know, yeah, that would definitely squeeze keep it out. At bay. It sure would. Okay, well, look, we're going to have to leave it there. Um, thank you, as always, for listening. We'll be back next Monday where we're going to discuss the... The, uh, the Watford game, and then we mm. head into an interlull. So what's the time? So it goes, the Watford game is on the Saturday, then on the Monday, we'll speak, and then a few days after that is the transfer deadline, right? It is, I think. Yeah, when's the, when's the 31st? 31st is the Wednesday, so you'll Wednesday. be dealing with the aftermath of that on a, on a Friday afternoon. Yes, after, okay, we'll, we'll deal with all that. that Dodged a bullet when. there. Yeah, exactly. Welcome, Boney. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we'll uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks as ever for listening. Bye bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.